You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. O God, who art the author of peace and lover of concord, in knowledge of whom standeth our eternal life, whose service is perfect freedom, defend us, thy humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in thy defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries through the might of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Um, So we're in the middle of a series on Romans. I'm not sure how long we're going to extend this. Um, It's been a little bit of a break with Christmas and all, and I'm going to pick it up again. It's going to be a two-week break because I'm not here next week. Um, I'm not teaching next week, and then the parish meeting will pick up. Hello, Tricia. Um, uh, Romans 7 in, on July 29th, June, January 29th, and we'll see where it goes from there. I know it. I'm all over the place. Um, uh, but where have we been and where are we going? I thought it was just kind of helpful for me to kind of climb back in uh, to the lectern, and for those of us who are kind of following along with the, uh, the class, probably, of course I never really know this until we start these classes, but... Um, first couple of classes when I would point over there and then I would point over there. That's probably where we are most of you. The theme that the Lord is talking to me about is what is life like if we're living life not with our judgment before us, and that's where I was pointing this way, but if our judgment's behind us. If, and this is where he hits it hard um, in Romans 1, 2, and 3, Uh, with this, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been revealed. And he plays with the verb tenses and all. We're going forward. He speaks in Romans 2, not in a hypothetical, but in a way that would have been familiar. It is familiar to us in our flesh, and Paul's going to keep talking about that, would be familiar to, um, uh, to the Jews who are now becoming Christians in his time, a time of forbearance and patience on God's part. But we are storing up wrath for the day of judgment which is coming, which of course we would normally see as the day of our death. Um, But now, now, in the chirotic kairos, the the fullness of time, uh, in the fullness of time, now, this present moment, now, when it was now at this time yesterday, and now, when it will be this time tomorrow, now, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been revealed, and it was revealed then. 2,000 years ago on the hill outside of Jerusalem, um, which resembled a skull or something else like that. And when Christ died for us so that God would show himself that he was not against us. What's life like if judgment is now behind us rather than before us? That's kind of the big question, I think, that we're probably chasing more than any other. Right down to the, um, to the tick, tick, tick of real time. When 10 o'clock becomes 11 o'clock, becomes 12 o'clock, becomes 1 o'clock, becomes 2 o'clock, and the year come and the year goes, uh, what is life like when judgment is behind us rather than before us? The collect captures some of that. Whatever, it's, there's lots of ways that question is unfolded. One part of that, what's well, going to be a life of freedom? Ironically, dichotomously, it's going to be a life of servitude that is perfect freedom. And that's also something he wants to really sort of emphasize. And he's going to have all these transitions from the old to the new. There's going to be a transition from death to life, a transition from the flesh to the spirit, 
a transition where we're no longer slaves of sin, but slaves of Christ or of righteousness or of God. Um, judgment behind us and not before us. So that's kind of where we're, we're headed. And then Paul begins to unfold that, and we looked at this in Romans 4, where he wants to ask the question um, uh, or describe this God who does that work, this new righteousness apart from the law that has now been revealed, uh, is a God who raises the dead and brings into existence the things which do not exist. Um, that Christ Jesus was delivered over for our sins and raised for our justification. Those are kind of his punchlines in the chapter, Romans 4.17 and 4.25. And then he goes on in chapter 5. We looked at this two classes ago, last class, um, two classes ago, um, where he wants to, and he does it kind of in an inverted way. He wants to, more than any other place in, in, in his scripture, in his revealed word, talk about this gift, this charis, this grace, this gift. All those can be translated in the same way. Um, uh, this exceedingly great gift, which is also exceedingly, you might even say foolishly, from a worldly standard, given to the most inappropriate recipients. And so he talks about the gift in the second half of Romans 5. In the first half of Romans 5, he talks about the different places, different people, me, you, us, uh, to whom that gift is given. The recipients that are not worthy, while we are yet sinning, while we are his enemies, while we are weak, and while we are ungodly. Um, he, he, he labors to come up with, let me look at it from this angle, let me look at it from this angle, let me look at it from this angle, and says, this is the way God gives his gift. And he names that gift, Jesus Christ, his death. While we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. And so he introduces this idea of for usness, which he's going to amplify even more here in Romans 6, where we're going to turn today, where the vicarious nature, that's the, uh, the idea, uh, most of us would know that word vicarious, which means in a, in a place of another. Um, where else would that be? Um, for someone to vicariously act for the benefit of another, and then the... Uh, uh, the penalty which somebody gets. This is the end of Charles Dickens' um, A Tale of Two Cities, for instance. Darnay and who's the other? Any English majors here? Charles Darnay and anyway, um, there's a vicarious death where one person who is innocent dies for another man who is guilty. There you go, Sidney Carlton. Um, uh, look at Charles Sharp. He should deliver your babies. So. Um, did you look on Google? Is that you just that fast? So that's really good. So. Hey, I want to tell you something. I read that book about once a year. That's good. So. Amen. It's it's it's. Look at the last chapter. I mean, it's right in our last. I think it's the penultimate chapter, next to the last. Um, a vicarious substitute, um, a substitutionary atonement. One who died the death I was to die, so I would get the benefit that is not my own. That's here in Romans 6, where he's going to talk in all sorts of ways about the um, uh, first, this movement um, from death to life, and that somehow, and he's going to ask twice in 6.1 and 6.15, this, uh, his, uh, Paul's imagined interlocutor, so to speak, his, uh, his imagined foil. He probably was getting the um, uh, uh, accused of being what you sometimes call an antinomian, one who is against the law. Um, anti-nomos, uh, 
What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound, so that grace may increase? By no means. We're going to hit that really hard. Um, uh, he's going to, it's inconceivable because that's not who you are. Do you not know that you have been died? You've been crucified. You've been buried. All these things are now in the old, have been buried and put to death. And very just almost blasphemously and grossly says, it's like you take a corpse and you bury it in the ground and you want to go back and pull it up. As inconceivable as that is as inconceivable that you would continue um, knowingly and happily and freely in sin. Shall we continue in sin? By no means. Will we continue in sin? Well, that's another story. And that's where he turns it over into Romans 7, where he begins to look at our experiences. We're going to look at some circles of uh, the experience of being still in the old and yet at the same time in the new. And Romans 7 being a, just a penetrating description of the experience of our life as Christians where we're still trapped in this old age, which he's going to typify as being the age of flesh under the law in sin, where death is still around. We wake up, we open the paper, so to speak, and there's still obituaries. We know we're still in the old age. Um, and yet at the same time, we now are walking in the newness of the Spirit. And that's going to be Romans 8, the first half of Romans 8. Um, uh, and he's going to say, this is our experience. And I hope we have both of those at the same time. The experience of being convicted, oh Lord, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? And also, thanks be to God, there is now, fair, there is now no condemnation because my judgment is behind me um, and I get to walk freely in the newness of the Spirit. And then a second half of Romans 8, just, I mean, just, I mean, it makes me weep. Just the wonderful word for suffering, for suffering people, the second half of Romans 8. And then another just digression, you might say. It's be hard to teach on, but I'm, I'm going to give it my all. Um, the Israel question, because you think Romans 8, you know, nothing shall separate us in the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Height, depth, angels, demons, principalities, powers, you know, you belong to Christ. And you think, oh, man, Paul is on a roll. And then next verses is like, oh, I groan and wish that I would be cut off so that my people, my brethren, my sisters and brothers, um, Israel would be saved. And he tackles the Israel question in 9, 10, and 11. And then finally, he gets in Romans 12, 13, 14. This is the outline of Romans. It's just the great book. Um, the question that he raises here in chapter 6, if we now are no longer under law but under grace, what does that life look like? Then he goes through the digression of, well, i got to talk about the law first, and then I want to talk about um, the, the Spirit and life in the Spirit, and then I want to have a word for sufferers, and then I want to have a word about Israel, and then we'll talk about that. And so in some ways you go from 6 to 12 with these very important interruptions. Um, so that's where we've been, and that's where we're going. So any comments there? It's a good way to start. I want to start a little bit early just so we can kind of dive into the, uh, the text on chapter 6. Um, chapter 6, um, the question is set. Let's actually look at the end of chapter 5. This isn't in front of you. I should have done this, but um, if you remember, and if you don't, that's okay. I'm about to read it. 520, the second half of 520 says this. Uh, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You could actually translate it something like this. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. He, uh, he makes up a word. He says... Sin is everywhere, and grace is always n plus one. It's just super abounds. It flows over. Um, the cup fills, 
and it just keeps going, an endless and abounding fountain. So he has that in mind, and now he has to ask this question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Because it seems like, you know, you could say God's upstairs, so to speak, looking down uh, and looking for the church where sin abounds all the more. Because it's, ah, that's my church. That's where I want to be. As if it's a transactional uh, analysis of looking for the, uh, the abounding of sin so that grace may superabound. It says, what shall we say? Shall, that, shall we do that? You know, that's the transaction. That's the contract that God wants me to kind of come into a, a, a contractual relationship with him. Um, I love to sin. He loves to forgive. You know, hey, you know, chocolate and peanut butter, you know, two great tastes that taste great together. By no means. By no means. He says, you know, it's inconceivable. This is something that just, it can't exist. And he's going to say why. Um, he goes over and over and over on that question. What does he do? You can, I mean, I think really imagine, probably uh, because we get this a little bit in other parts of Paul's letters where he talks about himself in sort of autobiographical places where he'll say things like, um, oh, I, Paul, you know, the one who's really, really strong in his letters, but it's kind of weak in person and all that sort of thing, um, that the Galatians come in. There's these super apostles that want to claim apostleship and give you a new gospel, as there is such a thing. If they want to talk about circumcision, I wish they'd just go the whole way and cut it all off. You know, He says all that stuff. Um, so we've got all this detail about Paul going in. Almost certainly, people were going around saying, oh, don't listen to Paul. He's just this grace guy, and all he wants to do is let sin flourish. And so it wasn't a hypothetical question for him. People were probably saying this. And so there's something to be said, two things. One, well, I'll forget about that one. There's something to be said. Um, taking the gospel seriously, that Christ demonstrates his love for us in this, while we are yet sinning, while we are killing Christ, while we are weak and ungodly and, uh, and, 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 and look at him as if it's like, eh, I'd rather go my own way. I'm the master and commander of my own fate. I'm a, you know, what do the kids say? Um, I'm the boss of me. Um, I'm the one in charge. I want to do this. Uh, that's when he dies. He's straight on in this way. And then people come up and they're, they're accusing Paul. He's like, don't listen to Paul. He says all that. What does Paul say? He says, oh, wait, time out. You're right. Let me just give you the footnote. You're right. You know, I didn't mean that. Let me say this is how the law should work in your life, how your oughts and your shoulds and your must. He doesn't do that. He doesn't back up and sort of backpedal and retread and sort of say the gospel is the general principle, but let's talk about all the exceptions. He doubles down. He doubles down on the gospel, opens the flood full on, says you had a hose, now here's a fire hydrant, and let me just just flood you with these two striking images of movement from the old to the new is the movement from death to life. And the movement from the old to the new is the movement from being a slave of sin to a slave of Christ, of righteousness, and of God. Um, He doubles over on the gospel rather than qualifying it. Um, Why? Because like we said, Romans 6 really leads right to Romans 12. So we're going to get there because people want to hear this, I know. But this question of how then shall we live? And Paul wants to say, I'll tell you how we should live. You take the one thing that produces faith, and that's the words of Christ. That's the gospel itself. 
Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Jesus Christ died for you. He is not mad at you. He is not against you. While you are yet sinning, ungodly, weak, uh, He came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, very God of very God, and is for you and died the death that you deserve to die so that the life you would live uh, would be free, a perfect freedom. And then that faith produces love. That faith then goes out into the world, rejoicing in the power of the Spirit, doing what we sometimes call good works. The only way to get the good works is to have the fruit of the gospel begin to appear. So how do we get the fruit? The gospel is the only way to get this. You have to have that. Paul doesn't waver an inch or an iota to uh, off that, that conviction that this is the only way. This is the only righteousness apart from the law which has been revealed by God. Foolish as it appears, God's wisdom exceeds all of our, uh, uh, God's foolishness exceeds all of our wisdom. Um, so that's where we're headed. Let's read Romans 6. Um, where, I'm all over the place, like I said. Let's read 6, 1 through 14. I've highlighted uh, all the different ways that Christ talks about, that, that, that Paul talks about death 18 times in 14 verses, in these 14 verses. Dead, death, die, buried, crucified, brought to nothing. Didn't even highlight baptism, which he would have understood. There's two images with baptism. One is cleansing, being washed with the water and the word, like in Ephesians 5. But mostly, it's being plunged beneath the waters uh, until you are dead and dead and then you come up new. The transition from old to new is transition from death to life. So you could even put baptism on there um, as, a, uh, as an image of death. But here's, here's Romans 6, first half. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into, into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So pause. What shall we say? Should we continue in sin? By no means. How can we do that? It's not who you are. Your identity is now something else. It makes no sense. It's not reality. It's not true, real, and actual from an identity perspective, the way that God sees you, you cannot continue in sin. This is the way you make sense of something like Psalm 103, which says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as your father removed your sin from you. And the words which we heard from John, um, where at baptism and the clouds open and James Earl Jones's voice comes out and it speaks <laughs> and it says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the words which we would have heard audibly on that day if we were present at Jesus' baptism, is the words we can hear God speaking to us. What God speaks to His Son, He speaks to us as His sons and daughters. Full stop. 100%. Shall we continue in sin? How can we if we're God's beloved Son with whom He is well pleased? We, can have, and we cannot have our sin counted against us. For as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed that, nullified it, put it up on, how do you say in Galatians, put it, um, uh, wrote it on the sign and nailed it to the cross. 
and left it there, buried. And you wouldn't go back and dig up the cat. It's dead and it's buried and it's gone. That's our identity. Now Paul's going to talk about our experience. So I know where we're going and that's different in this world. It's a good time to talk about circles. Um, kind of off my place. You know, I've been talking about these circles. Um, so I went and, you know, really complicated PowerPoint, isn't it? So um, this was a lot for me. I was like, how do you do a Venn diagram on, um, on, uh, on, on PowerPoint? And look, YouTube, it's great. The old age, the new creation, and this is the now time. Um, this is the way to make sense, your, your theologue, um, Paul's eschatology, how he views judgment behind us and no longer before us. Um, yeah, there's some points. I'll look at some other things in, in, when we do Romans 7. But here we see uh, this would be the way that God sees us, the new creation. When God sees us, he sees what he sees when he sees his son. Um, with you, I am well pleased. He, as Craig said, he likes us. He loves us and he likes us. But, as again, the obituaries are still on AO.com, we still live in the old age. And that's the problem. That's the problem of being sent in this mortal body right here, in this flesh, where the flesh and sin takes the commandment and seizing it and inserts itself in it, it overtakes us and it kills us. And it brings us down and temptations and sin and all manner of, of evil and all manner of suffering, which isn't even in our hand just because of creation, which groans is in the pains of childbirth. This is a visual way to make sense of what Paul is trying to say when he's talking about you once were, but now you are. The old is gone, the new has come. Full stop, true, the new has come. But I'll also say, and it really hit it next week, but it's here in six as well. Um, but we live in this, uh, I think it's a beautiful phrase, um, somebody once called it the rupture of the ages, in this time between the two times. Um, uh, so here in these circles, and I even went through, and I'll just kind of leave this up so you can be reading something at the same time you're talking to me. The old age is typified sin, death, life under the law, um, in bondage to sin, the new creation, the age of freedom and life, life under grace, um, and this overlap of the ages is where we are. Well, just want to have, let you have this visual image kind of planted in your brain as I'm also talking and thinking about the rest of Romans 6. So... Shall we continue in sin? By no means, um, because what God sees is what he sees when he sees his son. In the new creation, that's who we are. But in this world, as we live in this rupture, as we live in this overlap, it's a different story. And he continues, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free. Um, interesting uh, the translation took that route to say set free. Um, it's, you could also say, the word would say, has been justified from sin, which is a really interesting phrase. I won't follow that, but has been set free or been justified from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. You could say death no longer is his Lord. It's also a strong way to say that. Um, 
For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Um, Sin no longer has lordship. Death no longer has lordship. Death no longer has dominion. The reign of sin, the death, the devil, the world, the flesh, and the law working through those, the power of, of, uh, of sin is the law. So it takes the law, good, right, and holy, and it does something to us. Um, all that is typified here in the old age, and it's been buried with Christ, uh, put to death, and we live in the newness of the Spirit. So that's the idea. And then Paul wants to continue that even more and say something. Well, let me hit pause. Questions there? There's a lot here, I know, and this is all just, well, I don't know what it's like to hear. I've been sitting with this for, well, I was going to say for all week, but for years. Um, questions. questions? Yeah, yeah. What do you say, I mean, I, I, I just would like to hear you, Bill, you know, when, um, when people talk about evil in the world now, yeah. mm-hmm. given this. Yep, yeah, here we are. The old age typified by all this, the proliferation of evil, where the good suffer and the bad proliferate, um, uh, where the, just whether it's random or, or strategic and all that. And that's the, that's the suffering question from Romans 8, 17 forward. And so I'm not putting that off in two classes from now. That's exactly what Paul... So what should we say about the sufferings of this present evil age? He even uses that word, if I remember right. And strangely enough, part of his answer is going to be, we talked about this two classes ago, predestination. What a way to answer that question, right? Um, uh, which is a different way of thinking about when we get there. I hope you can hear that in a pastoral way, the way that the 39 articles, I don't like to go here all the time, but man, it's great. It's the longest of our articles, and it says this doctrine, this doctrine should be full of such sweet and unspeakable comfort. If I, if I could convince somebody that the doctrine of election, that outside of time, Christ says, I want you. You are my beloved. I love you. No, you in the second person, very personal, familiar. You're mine, and I will not let you go. Nothing and no thing will separate you from me. Whether that word against this present evil age and suffering might be a word of unspeakable comfort. Um, so let's, let's hang on to that, but that's exactly right. I mean, this is, and I didn't make this up. <laughs> you know, I'm hopefully I'm just relaying what the word is saying. Um, to make sense of when the Bible says, um, you know, put to death, therefore, the, 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 the deeds of the flesh and walk in the newness of the Spirit or something else like that. Or the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Um, it's like, yeah, and, you know, God willing, it's in our lives some. But if it's only that, and yet we go home and we recognize all the ways that I've wanted or I've, things I've done and left undone, or the things that I've said or left unsaid, or the things that were done to me or left undone to me, or said or unsaid to me. Um, how do we make sense of that as well? This helps me, helps me a lot to think about this rupture of the ages and the life lived in between the times. What Paul, what, not just Paul, um, Peter, calls the last days, which is good news, but you know, but in the last days for 2,000 years, we don't know how long it's going to last. Um, Lord, come soon. 
Um, pray comes right now, but we'll see. So, anything else? Here's yeah, the second part. Yeah. Two words that you said that um, you kind of hold them in tension, but you talked about our identity versus our experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, our identity is the one on the right. Mm-hmm. The experience is what we're experiencing is more the left side. Yep, yep. So, helpful to think of those. Well, this part, I'm not making, I'm, I'm hopeful I'm not making any of this up. Um, just read regurgitating things that I've heard over time. Um, some of us know this phrase. You hear me say it a lot. Um, Luther's Latin, simul justus et peccator, um, or Paul would probably say something like, um, uh, at the same time, simul, simultaneously. Um, justus means righteous or justified. Peccator means sinner. For Paul, sinner would be more of a, um, an identity word. Um, and so he would probably say something like, at the same time, dead and alive, because of what we've just read. Um, at the same time, still existing in this old age with our identity firmly spoken by the living and active Word of God as something new and no longer subject to sin and death. Um, and that word we hope, that word in a hope in the sense of a sure and certain confidence we know that word is the stronger word. That the word spoken over us at death, the grim reaper, so to speak. Oh, Gil, I've come for you. Your hour is nigh. Ask not for whom the bell tolls. It tells for thee. Um, and you could laugh at it like Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15. It's like, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Um, uh, there's a word that's stronger than death. And that's this word, which we call the gospel. Christ is for you. And he will not let you go. Um, So Paul hits it really hard, tells us you will not survive your own salvation. Um, The I uh, who lives, whatever that ego, that flesh, that I, will die. Um, And yet this new I which comes, and so this is John O'Leinbrow brought this to us at the the end of the summer. He's coming back for Lent, by the way, which I'm really happy about, uh, to teach the dean's class. Um, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So these two eyes also make sense of this. There's no longer I, the I of the old age, but the I of the new creature. Um, we won't survive our own salvation. And now Paul also wants to say this movement from the old to the new, which is a transition from death to life, it's also a transition, as it were, where our papers like when you get a car and you have to change, you go to the, the DMV and get your title changed, your title has been changed. You're no longer a slave of sin, the world, the flesh, the devil. You now belong to Christ, uh, to righteousness, and to God. And he uses a word, very strong, slave, doulos. Let's talk about doulos real fast. Um, interesting, if you have an ESV Bible, um, uh, it's worth doing. I mean, go back, and I think the NIV does this too, and the RSV. The part that you wouldn't read, preface, go back and read. There's two paragraphs on how the Bible wants to translate this really particular word doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. Um, we sometimes hear it translated in, uh, in English as bondservant, someone who uh, has freedom but they're working off a debt to somebody else for years and years and years. That would be a case sometimes. But it would also be something like, uh, you know, 18... 50 in the United States and the South, a slave in that sense, where there was no real sense of movement to, um, 
to freedom. That wasn't going to be possible. Um, someone named Ertz Kazeman, um, he's one I'm really kind of following as much as anybody else as I'm preparing for this class. In his commentary, I thought this was really something. Um, he said this. Um, grace establishes corporal obedience. Corporal means body, like corpus. Um, that's my Latin scholar. Um, uh, uh, corporal means bodily obedience, hearing the word um, and, uh, and following. Grace establishes corporal obedience so radically that comparison with slavery is justifiable. Did not, I hadn't thought about this, did not Christ take the form of a slave in Philippians 2.7? Um, taking the form of a slave became subject to death, even death on a cross, as it says. At issue is the total and exclusive obligation of being the, of the first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, or first commandment would be strictly, um, you shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God. Um, this has to be developed from both of its sides. Being total, it means bondage. Being exclusive, it means freedom. I'm saying that because it's a jarring word, this idea of being a slave. But here's what Paul says. Um, so, flipping back. What then? So he asks the same question the second time. Same way he did it in 6.1, just a slight variation. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace, under the dominion or the rulership, the lordship, the mastership? no longer under law, but now a different master under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So a couple of things I want to say and then we'll wrap. This was a fun digression for me as I was preparing this week. Um, that word obedience, which is the same part there in Mark 4, who is this man? Even the wind and the seas obey him. So I went on that rabbit trail. Uh, the word, what we call acoustic, is in that same word there. This idea of a sound or a word which is spoken. And so you could actually say to obey is to live beneath the word of another. Well, that was fun for me to think about that. So now we've got two words, the word of the old age typified by the law and the word of the new creation typified by the gospel. What does this look like? to be slaves of Christ, slaves of righteousness, slaves of God, where our aku, our acoustic, our hearing beneath this word of, you are my beloved, with you I am well pleased. Well, that kind of obedience has a whole different color, timbre, and sound than anything that I grew up thinking about when I thought about obedience. And sometimes that was really good, to obey your father and mother. That's a good thing. But to be under that word, that sonorous melody that frees and that loves and that, uh, that calls into being things which did not exist and which raises the dead. Now we're back there in, in Romans 4. That's where I went for a pleasant sort of 20-minute digression in my office this week. So, um, but thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Paul backs up a little bit and says, you know, let's, 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 let's get real here. For just as you once presented your members, your body parts, your, um, 
uh, your hands, your feet, your, your voice, your brain, um, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, are resulting in more just consequential this, so unavoidably that. Um, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, second way he describes that, you were free in regard of righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time for the things you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, similar to 321, but God, now it's but now, you have been set free from sin, become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And then first many of us know, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, he's going back to five, chapter five, of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, that's probably a good way to stop. Questions, comments? We've got two minutes. Hey, Gil. Yeah. Um, how does chapter six jive with uh, Luther's sin boldly, love God more boldly? Oh, good. Bringing that up. I love it. <laughs> um, with two minutes. I love it. Ask me a question about Luther, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Um, so Martin Luther, in a, in a letter, I think it was like 1540-something, about eight years before, one of his moments of lucidity towards the end of his life, because he was going a little bit nuts, uh, somebody was asking, because he knew he lived in this age. He says, Doctor, help me, because I want to do this, but if I do this, I'm afraid these are going to happen, and it's going to hurt people, so to speak. But if I do this, which, you know, this could all happen, which wouldn't lead to good ends. Like, how do I choose? Where do I go? It seems like a catch-22. Um, uh, and Luther's word of freedom says, my dear, my dear Josh, <laughs> um, sin boldly and believe in Christ all the more. So it's a great question, sort of an ethical dilemma, as it were, when you're like, I don't know what to do. Should I move to Toledo or should I stay in Birmingham? Or you should stay in Birmingham. But let's just pretend, like, you know, should I move to Toledo? Well, if you go to Toledo, this could happen, this could happen. It could be good, could be bad. If you stay in Birmingham, this could happen, this could happen. could be good, could be bad. What do you do? Sin boldly in the sense of live in this age knowing that Christ has already called you and is your, you are his beloved child and he's working out your salvation uh, or as you work out your salvation, this decision with fear and trembling, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who also said, uh, I am willing and acting on your behalf according to my good purpose for you. A word of freedom. So that's a great concrete way, thank you Josh, to bring into sort of real life how these circles might help or this transfer from the old to the new or the transfer from, life, from death to life or our titles are being shifted from slaves of sin to slaves of God. Um, so that we can have a word of freedom. Now, when you're making those decisions, my quick words, you know, if it's illegal, if it's unbiblical, you know, don't. Like, you know, should I open a brothel and, uh, and be a hitman? Just prayed about it, no. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, Toledo, Birmingham, whatever else, is like, sin boldly. Just confidence that, that, that God is gonna be present and working for your behalf. That's good. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Correct me as ever um, for any place where I was wrong, but strengthen your word, your great and mighty word, particularly your word of the gospel, which tells us who we are.
for your sake, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.